This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Welcome to the post-Minnesota Vikings Detroit Lions Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad in the 1500 ESPN studios. And on the phone live from Detroit, the city where she always dreamed of being near the holidays, Courtney Cronin from ESPN. Courtney, how are you? Detroit is where dreams are made of, Matthew. Yeah, yeah. You've always said that ever since we've known each other. It was one of the first things you said to me. Um Let's start out. Speaking of dreams and made of, I dreamed this game would be fun to watch, and it most certainly was not. <laughs> it wasn't even a little bit fun to watch, uh, aside from a Hail Mary play. So what was said by the Vikings after this game about the early start? Because there was an opportunity for the Detroit Lions to make things very difficult for the Vikings, but they remembered they're the Detroit Lions, so that didn't happen. But if that had come against a better team, it might have been a pretty serious problem for the Vikings. Yeah, and I think, you know, first off, it starts with field position. You know, and they start there at the one-yard line or whatever it was. Um, so it makes it really difficult because you have a lot of defenders that are, you know, sitting in the box down there. And, you know, that first drive was just, you look at that and you're like, what the hell was that? Like, you know, there's the there's the QB sneak. There's the, the fullback run. I mean, there's the third and nine pass to Diggs that, you know, I don't know whether Diggs should have turned around on that or if that was on Kirk. I mean, there was a whole lot that went wrong. Um, you know, they're missing a you know false start. Um, I think on Tom Thompson on that drive. I don't, I know he had one in the game. I don't know if it was that one, but just a whole lot that went wrong and they were pinned deep in their own territory a lot of times. Uh, they could not run the ball effectively in the first half. I think Dalvin Cook had, you know, 15 yards total on six or seven carries. So they just, you know, they struggled with it. Um, and I think third down is one area that you, that you look at as to, okay, what was happening there? I mean, they tried to run it on third down. Uh, they tried to run it in some pretty critical territory, which if they said they knew it was going to be tough to do, you kind of wonder why that was happening uh, on such, you know, third and third and long, third and nine, things like that. But that third and 17 is what broke the game open. Um, I asked Kirk Cousins about that after the game and just kind of wondering, okay, what was it on that play? And he said, of course, you know, that that's an important play. It doesn't, you know, every play stands alone, whatever. But that's what sparked the Stephon Diggs touchdown because it finally broke that streak where they were just not able to move into Lions territory. Um, so I think I think they came out flat. I mean, this this game, as we've talked about, has not had a lot of buzz around it, despite the fact that it's a huge playoff, a game with huge playoff implications and you know everything else. But they just came out, you know, really lackluster and and against the Detroit team that. You know, they should have put out of its misery from, you know, the get-go instead of letting them, you know, try to hang around with nine points in the first half off field goals. So first uh, four drives for the Vikings, Courtney, we saw them get an accumulation, a total 
yardage-wise of five yards. Uh, and going back to them coming out flat, what do you sense the concern what was there? And I know that they post-game, they all give you guys the old, well, we turned things around and it was great, and yeah, there were some problems that have to be cleaned up, but, you know, but we won the game and that's fine. But it's a bunch of BS in the sense that this was a terrible half. Like, it was embarrassingly bad. And I guess I, I guess if I'm Zim and I'm this team, I am concerned that that I am on the precipice, I'm not there yet, of a playoff spot and that they played that poorly. Because it wasn't like, well, Detroit's really trying hard. Detroit clearly wants to, to go golfing as soon as possible, and if Patricia gets fired, all the better. But what was your sense of the internal feeling about how that team played? Well, I think that they feel like they, you know, they escaped here. I mean, this is only their third road win of the season. The other two came against the Jets, um, and then I know I'm forgetting another one. They uh, Eagles. Help me here. The Eagles. So, I mean, yeah, those were, you know, Eagles was a very close win. The Jets was a game that they should have, yeah, they put up 37 points on the road, but they should have never let the Jets be in that game at all. And they didn't play great at all in that game offensively until, you know, the second half. So it kind of had that carry that same vibe to it. And I asked Adam Thielen, you know, post game just about, okay, like, is it kind of nerve wracking when you've got the situation where, yeah, like Stephon Diggs said this after the game, the Miami game last week, you know, when he was asked about, okay, well, if you guys were thinking it up there in the second and third quarter, what, you know, what happens? Like, well, we still got the win. Like, you know, good teams face adversity, et cetera, et cetera. Well, good teams don't let the Lions, uh, you know, dictate how things are going early on in that game when, and I mean, God, the Lions should have been up 21-0 to zero after those three possessions that they had that ended in field goals, but because they're the Lions, they can't get out of their own way. Um, so, like, when I was feeling, they told me, he's like, he's, I'm reading this quote now, he's like, I think it's one of those things where you can't get anxiety, but you have to make sure that you get it figured out, because in our situation we're in, we can't, in a situation we're in, we can't lose ball games, and a lot of it's on the points we're putting up, but we can't we can put points on the board as an offense is going to be tough to beat us. We know that we have to make sure we don't have anxiety, but some awareness that we've got to get that going and got to get them to score early. So, you know, I think the awareness is there in that like, okay, you've got to figure something out here because sure. I mean, the bears are coming. If we just saw the bears game just ended, they're coming to town with a chance to possibly be playing for a first round bye. obviously that, that dictates what, you know, what dictates that is what happens in the Rams game. Um, but there's, you know, there's the, the fact of the matter is, like, you don't have a lot of time to figure out what's, what's holding you guys back offensively. I think the defense gave up that 29-yard run and then the 21-yard 20, catch and run in the first uh, quarter, and then they really didn't give up a lot of explosive plays after that. It's really on the offensive end now, and they just couldn't generate anything. There were a few times, I think, on that uh, that run that that, Kurt, that uh, Cousins got stuffed up the middle on third and six. I think Kirk might have audible out of that. Uh, it's kind of it looked like he checked it at the line because Dalvin got hit pretty soon on that one. So those are the type of things they need to figure out because I think that right now the way that things are panning out, it still doesn't really feel like a playoff team. I mean, yeah, you got to win that you needed to get because this is essentially must win for you but it still doesn't feel like a team that can sustain a long run in January. What's very interesting to me, Courtney, is that in both of these wins, when you look at the box score after the game against Miami and against Detroit, you look at it and go, wow, Kevin Stefanski offense is just lighting it up. But in both games, they left the door open to get beat, and the two teams they were playing just happened to be very, very poor uh, the Dolphins today lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars, which tells you about how good they are. Uh, Detroit came in ranked 31st in the quarterback rating that they allowed. 
uh, on defense. So clearly not a very good team that doesn't seem like they're giving 110 for their head coach. And, and yet, so those teams aren't going to bust the door down when you open it up for them. But when they've done this in other games, when they left the door open for the Saints with a couple of key mistakes, the Saints took advantage and won that game. And the same with Chicago and a number of other games that we've seen, that same thing has happened. And I feel like, Courtney, even though some things are different, especially in the second half, they came out, ran more play action. I saw Mike Zimmer talked about, about that mm-hmm. and talking with Kevin Stefanski about getting that play action going. So the process is still better and was for this week. But when you have four straight drives that look like that and give up field position, I don't think the Chicago Bears are going to let you get away with it. No, I mean, the fact that those things are happening against such a mediocre opponent like this, um, and even dating back to last week with Miami, I mean, you bring it up like Kevin Stefanski's found the answer. He's, he's, he's got it all clicking, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you should against teams like this. It should not be an issue to put up, you know, 27 points uh, on the road in Detroit or 41 points at home uh, against the against the Dolphins. It's just a matter of you're letting teams stay in these games, which I think is a really big problem. So, you know, I don't think that the type of opponent that they're going to get against Chicago, that A, they're going to be able to run the ball the way that they did. Like, I would not be surprised if you see them abandon, you know, the mentality that they've had in, in trying to, you know, continually, you know, pound the ball, pound the ball, you're eventually going to rip off a 20-yard run, something like that. Like, that's Zimmer's mindset of two-yard, two-yard, 20-yard. Um, that, that, that I don't know if that's what's, what's going to happen. Like, especially against this Bears team where, yeah, I mean, I don't think they play. I mean, I caught, you know, some of that game as we were writing a little bit ago. I don't think that they played that great on the road. Um, you know, in San Francisco, but they've got a heck of a lot on the line uh, with the first round bye, and they're going to be playing that way. Like, I don't anticipate anyone sitting for that game, and you're not going to get away with, you know, how many times did they have good field position that they squandered uh, in that in that in that uh, Dolphins game, and then even today, you know, how the, they just weren't able to control the field position game. They gave things away. Um, you know, Zimmer said that, you know, by and large, he felt Kirk was accurate. I guess it is a good thing that he took care of the ball today. No pick sixes, no interceptions, no turnovers. And he made that gutsy call. I mean, you got to go for that shot there with two seconds and you call a timeout for the Hail Mary. But, you know, by and large, we haven't seen that they've been, they are a team that's able to sustain what it takes to win big games against really good opponents. And, like you said, I mean, it's, it's winning field position battles. It's not getting down inside the 15 yard line and having Khalil Mack punch the ball out from Dalvin Cook's arms. It's not, you know, you go back to that Chicago game, that tape is going to, you know, that, that tape's a scary reminder of what could happen, uh, when the Bears come up to U.S. Bank Stadium and they haven't won at U.S. Bank Stadium in quite some time. Um, you know, it, it is pretty scary to think about like what they could do, uh, when they are this motivated to get a first round buy in the playoffs. So now the fun stuff. A year ago at this time, the head coach of the Vikings lived in fear of the fact that his quarterback at that time, en route to a 13-win season, was going to make costly mistakes that would cost his team, and therefore an upgrade was deemed necessary. That person's name is Kirk Cousins. He's paid $84 million guaranteed over three years. I guess this is a question for the room. In what could very well be a must-win game in which there's going to be ginormous pressure on this entire team, and it's going to start with the quarterback, what do you think uh, the internal confidence is going to be at TCO Performance Center that Kirk Cousins can now step onto the field next Sunday and guide his team and be potentially the most important person 
in a must-win game that could make or break your team as far as a playoff berth goes? Judd, I'm with you on this. That it's it's a situation where you don't want Kirk to have the ball in his hands last. Essentially, that this is a game that's got to be a Dalvin Cook game. You've got to scheme it to where, you know, by and large, he is he is the focal point of this offense because I just don't know, um, given what happened in the in the Bears game and given what's happened in every big game that they've played that they've lost. Um, I just don't know if if Dalvin or excuse me if, if Kirk is, you know. You can't really change it right now. Like, like Thielen said, I mean, you don't have a lot of time. You don't want to panic, but you, you gotta, you gotta kind of stick to what you know and what's, what, how you can mitigate problems. And I think that they know they can mitigate problems with Kirk Cousins, especially with how well their de- defense plays at home. Run the ball, like, and, if, and it doesn't have to be just a traditional, I mean, you're not, this time around, they're probably not going to run the ball third and one straight into a team Hicks stomach that's filled with donuts. They're probably not going to do that. They're, you know, force things outside. I mean, they did have some really good outside runs today. Um, you know, try to follow that. Get the screen game going. You know, use Dalvin as a receiver. Today we saw him with three catches for 35 yards. I want to see more of that. I want to see Dalvin not just catch passes out of the backfield, but line up as, line up as your X. Line up as a Z. Line up, you know, wherever you have to. Like, get, give this team different looks because, you know, the Bears have shown they're very good at sniffing out the screen game. Kirk has also shown he's very not consistent with throwing screen passes. So there's so much there at stake that I just think you want to try to oversimplify things for Kirk Cousins here because your playoff hopes really do hang in the balance with a win over the Chicago Bears. You don't want to be watching the scoreboard, um, you know, to see what, what's going on in the Philly game because, you know, if they lose next week, they also need Philadelphia to lose or tie, and, and Philadelphia is playing the Redskins, which that should be a win for them regardless. Uh, to me, this Week 17 game is all about Kirk versus himself and the Vikings defense against Mitch Trubisky. I mean, the, the Chicago goes out to San Francisco. They only put up 14 points. The Vikings picked off Mitch Trubisky a couple of times. You know, key mistakes from him in that game, even though he did make some very good plays in the game at Soldier Field. And we know that inexperienced quarterbacks tend to come into U.S. Bank Stadium and fall apart entirely. So I have a lot of confidence, Courtney, that the Vikings defense has done enough and they did enough mm-hmm. again today and last week. They pummeled the bad teams that they should pummel. They've played really well against the good teams, the good quarterbacks for the most part, especially in the second half of the season. And it's all about like they will give Kirk Cousins an opportunity to play a hero, even if he doesn't have to be one. But if he throws a pick six or if he has a strip yeah. sack fumble, then you're going to lose. And and I, I feel like that's the thing that everyone will be holding their breath watching that week 17 game is will Kirk Cousins take care of the ball or is it the big moment going to get him once again and have a brain freeze and throw it to the other team for a touchdown? Yeah, and I mean, against a Bears team like that, I mean, with, with as mobile as Mitchell Trubisky is, and even the Vikings had some issues with that in week 11 when they played down in Chicago, um, you know, they got to, on offense, they've got to run the ball so then when their defense is out there, they can honestly just pin it back and, and pass rush because you can, if you can force Trubisky off his spot, I mean, I do think that the Bears are built, like I, I've said this a while, I think they are built for a very deep run in the postseason. I mean, is it a Super Bowl run? I don't know. Because you have to go, I mean, right now they have to go to New Orleans in the second week of the playoffs if they win. I don't know if that's doable, but the way New Orleans is playing, kind of suspect. So, 
Um, I do think that the defense here is going to, if the Vikings win, we're going to be looking back because it's another monster day for Daniel Hunter. Um, if you can get Eric Kendricks back, that's a huge plus. Um, you know, whatever happens in the secondary, I mean, Xavier Rhodes, another injury, uh, Mike Zimmer kind of sarcastically saying he'll be fine after the game. Um, they've got to figure out some things on the back end too, just because they have so many receivers. And I could see this being a game where you're getting, you know, every, everyone involved and how, and how, just how creative that they get in their run game, which I don't think it's the credit it deserves. I mean, the defense has its hands full, but I think it's, I'd rather, I'd put my money on the defense holding up its end over Cousins not throwing a costly interception or having a costly strip sack fumble. I mean, you know, Akeem Hicks, my mom sent me a photo of the Chicago Tribune, and she's like, uh, Cousins looks like a squish banana um, in this photo, Courtney. And um, I was like, yes, that, that's exactly what happens when a person named Akeem Hicks, who I think is 320 pounds, um, mooshes you. And, and then that's the, that's the scientific word for um, what happens when you're sacked, get mooshed. It's mooshed? Um, okay. So, yes. Um, so, I mean, that's he, he, when he's under pressure against a team like that, and we saw what happened when he wasn't even under pressure, when it was a three-man rush and he threw the interception, um, it's head games with Kirk Cousins this week. And I think that that's not necessarily the position the Vikings want to be in, knowing how Cousins has handled the mental pressure before. But, you know, you just, you, you, you ride Dalvin Cook for what you can do with him, not necessarily just trying to run it up the gut, but, you know, getting creative with Dalvin, um, and, and then you ride your defense. All right, Courtney, uh, I know that I'm sure you have a, a lot of places to visit around Detroit, a lot of things to see. It's beautiful this time of year, so we will let you go. And uh, hopefully you have a happy holiday, although I think we're going to talk again before the holiday. So anyway, I hope you're having a, a great time. <laughs> Just enjoy Detroit and, is what Kyler's trying to say. And thank you uh, thank for joining us. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Happy other holidays that are happening in the month of December. And um, looking forward to uh, a wild Wet, crazy, was it wet? I don't know if that's even the right term there. You know, like it might be. crazy week 17. The most important thing is happy football, Courtney. Happy football. Happy football. Okay, Judd, a few more things to talk about with this game, and we'll be doing a lot, of course, leading up to a win-and-you're-in type of situation. Let's talk a little bit about the benching of Laquan Treadwell, the healthy scratch Chad Beebe elected to play instead of Treadwell, which after the game, Mike Zimmer said that it was about matchups because Chad Beebe had performed pretty well back in early November against the Lions. He had three catches for 21 yards, so it wasn't like he shredded Detroit, but he made one nice play. And then in this game, he was barely in at all. And the way that I look at this, Judd, is Laquan Treadwell's time as a Minnesota Viking has come to an end. I see no reason unless someone gets hurt to play him against the Chicago Bears. Chad Beebe also had a catch against them. You might as well play him. Uh, Beebe can find ways to get open. He's quick. Put him in the slot. He could do something. Uh, Laquan Treadwell has been one of the least efficient wide receivers in the National Football League since coming in in 2016. And to me, the experiment is over. The uh, training camp articles that we write about how Treadwell is finally getting it. He's finally turning it around that those... Uh, there will be no more. And when you look at the cap situation, they can move on from him. They could trade him for nothing, whatever they want to do. But I think Kevin Stefanski here, presumably it's his decision, is making the right call 
and just ending the Laquan Treadwell era in Minnesota. And he's just a bust. I mean, it's that simple. We thought he was going to be productive. I thought he'd be good, and he's a bust. He is. He does nothing really well. He can't run particularly fast. He doesn't catch balls uh, consistently en- enough. There's still far too many drops. Uh, I believe that the last thing I heard being a strength of his was blocking, and I think the, the last home game I attended uh, a week ago with you at U.S. Bank Stadium, if I'm not mistaken, against the Dolphins, I saw him try to throw a block and basically fall down. Correct. So it's it just it's just done. And it's not as if there was never really – there was never a flash here. There is, there's nothing that you're going to say, well, do you remember that one game where Treadwell looked so good? He didn't. Uh, Cordell Patterson ultimately couldn't run routes and had great athletic skill, and the Vikings eventually came to the conclusion that the fact he couldn't run routes was going to cost him his job here. But there were flashes from that guy where you said, that is phenomenal athletic ability. Laquan Treadwell is a bad pick. And there have been some good picks, too. Stephon Diggs, fifth-round pick, is fantastic. But this is one that didn't work, and... I, I think that if he had been taken in the third or fourth round, this experiment probably would have come to an end in training camp at some point. Yes. But they were going to give it every chance. It's Spielman's reputation and pride. Uh, but this is a guy who somebody finally just said, you know what, if this, if we're going to be a legitimate playoff team and give Kirk Cousins the best chance possible to succeed, which he needs, Laquan Treadwell can't be an option, in part because Kirk Cousins, to the last day that Treadwell and Kirk played together, Kirk Cousins looked to Treadwell. He would throw it. If if he deemed Treadwell to be open, he would throw him the ball, and lots of times Laquan would drop that ball. So removing number 11 as a temptation to which to throw the ball is a smart move. This is one of the things that Kirk Cousins contis, uh, continually goes back to is that he throws it where he's supposed to throw it, whatever the read is. Even today, they found Kyle Rudolph with a bunch of catches, nine catches, right? Great day for Kyle Rudolph. And the question is, hey, so why were you finding Rudolph today? And always with Kirk Cousins' answer is, I throw it where I'm supposed to throw it on the read to execute the play, which is probably why Kirk Cousins' offensive coordinators have always liked him. I don't know that John Filippo liked or didn't like him, but uh, he had great relationships with Kyle Shanahan and with Sean McVay, in part because if you give him something to execute, he can often execute it. It's just... Anytime that's got to go off schedule, like what I watched from Deshaun Watson at the end of that Philadelphia game, he is just incapable of doing that. But uh, the point that you're making is him going to his reads often ended up in Laquan Treadwell, and that rarely produced them anything. Think about a wide receiver who averages 8.7 yards per catch. I mean, that's basically a fullback. Like what you would have are a running back or a fullback getting checkdowns out of the backfield He was offering no impact whatsoever, and he never has. I mean, I can't, like you said, I can't think of a single game Uh, where it was even halfway decent. I mean, they they gave him a chance last year against the Baltimore Ravens. I believe that was one where Diggs got hurt, and then it was, okay, he's he's your guy. He's going to be one-on-one all day because they're going to be focused on Thielen, and nothing happened. And then even this year against Detroit, it's Chad Beebe who steps up and grabs a couple balls instead of Treadwell when he got basically his last chance. And Laquan, and what did Laquan keep saying week after week after week? Well, now we've changed OC, so right. it's going to change for me. Well, now we've changed quarterback, so it's going to change. It ultimately was never going to change. And I'm just glad that the Vikings have decided now that he's essentially done. Yes. Like, let's not let's not see him suited up. Let's not be tempted to be like, well, let's give it one more chance. I think the smart organizational 
decision is to scratch him for the rest of this year and then in March cut him and just say, we made a mistake, we made some bad picks, we made some good picks, this was just a bad pick. And the bonus of the offense over the last two weeks, even as much as these two teams do not give you an accurate snapshot of how good they really are because these two teams, Miami and Detroit, are very bad, but working the ball around to different places. Dalvin Cook averaged 11 yards a catch. Today, made three catches. Adam Thielen had five. Got Stephon Diggs six targets, but only two catches. Not a great day for him. Dropped a ball. Threw it to uh, very rare. Diggs dropped a ball. I don't think he had a drop before that. I believe you're correct. Latavius Murray got a couple catches. Nothing big, but somebody had a big day other than Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. And I think that if this team is going to be dangerous at all to the Chicago Bears, because it looks like even if they beat the Bears Week 17, they'll have to face them again right away. So if they're going to beat that team, been back-to-back games, one at home, one on the road, you can't just throw it to Thielen and Diggs all the time for two straight games to beat them. That's going to be hard enough no matter what you have going on. But Stefanski spreading the ball out and bringing in, as weird as it is, a guy who has literally four catches this year in Chad Beebe, I trust him a lot more than Laquan Treadwell because of just how many disastrous things. I mean, if you think about this closely, the Vikings could have two more wins if not for Treadwell drops. In the one in Green Bay, That's a you probably drop. you win that game. Yep. And then against New Orleans, the fourth down where they decide to go for it, and in, in, instead of looking for your best players, Kirk Cousins goes for Laquan Treadwell and once again gets the mitts on it, but he can't bring it in. And like we're we're talking about here so many times with Treadwell, you've been over and over, but there isn't a, a fix like there was with Patterson where you said, okay, they actually made a mistake in not just limiting what he has to do, but giving him the ball like they're doing in New England now. That's how the Vikings should have been using him. There is no mistake by the Vikings here. There, This is just no, a player just a who yeah. just can't play yeah. in the NFL effectively. I do find it intriguing, though, that Stefanski today – and, and this is this is where I go back to this offense and say to myself, how much different would this offense have been with a different coordinator instead of flip in the uh, sense that you used your tight end today? Yep. R- Rudolph had a spectacular day. And like with what this offense can do and what Cousins can do, that's the obvious thing. So you go back and look at that and say, okay, if you had used this offense, if you had used your pieces here, uh, to Cousins' advantage, instead of uh, instead of basically saying Diggs and Thielen had four great games, and so now we're going to throw them the ball no matter what, and it made no sense, you really go back and say, how much different could this offense possibly have looked uh, during some of the down stretches if you had been smart? Because th- the tight end should not be, it's 2019 almost, so it should not be, Eureka, that's a really good idea. It should be, no, no, this worked with Shermer, this is the obvious thing. So I am really still confused as to how we got here today. Uh, and it's a big story that Kyle had a big game when it should not be by but this point. It should not be by any means. That's very true. And the underutilization of Kyle Rudolph was criminal throughout the season, especially since if you just throw him the ball on first down, he can get you like six yards and you're in just great shape. For, for moving it. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have to catch a Hail Mary pass to be really effective, and we've seen him do that. Third down and short, he's usually open. Just a little rollout at the goal line. Not finding him in the end zone all year appears to be on the offensive coordinator more than on Kirk Cousins. I wasn't really sure whose fault it was that in the red zone they weren't just throwing it to Kyle Rudolph. It's been a pretty safe bet for anyone who plays quarterback for the Vikings, and that was not happening for him. Now I would suspect that it will when they get in the red zone. Now, you pose a very interesting question, though. 
How many wins would they have different if Kevin Stefanski is their offensive coordinator? And looking through, I don't think they get slaughtered like that against the Bills, in part because one thing I noticed Stefanski doing really well is keeping seven in to protect the bootlegs. We didn't see as much today, but I think that that's one thing he does all the time, that he is thinking first, we have to give Kirk Cousins a lot of time to throw the ball, and then we'll see what happens around him. But he... He got sacked, and I think both sacks were probably on him today for holding the ball too long. But overall, uh, Mike Zimmer even commented on the protection and what they're doing to help the protection has been much better. Buffalo ruined that game by just sacking Cousins and strip-sacking him. So maybe that one. New Orleans, possibly, but I don't know. You probably lose that game anyway. Chicago, you probably don't win that game either. But the one that I look at where things could be very different is the Seattle game. Oh, most definitely. Because the defense was absolutely you know fantastic. What, don't assume Chicago. Chicago kept them in that game. That's true. And that yeah, game plan true. offensively was awful. That's true. And I don't believe that for one second that Stefanski would, would have said, would have gone to Zim and said, hey, Zim, I got an idea for protection. We're going to put Riley Reef on Khalil Mack. That's true. This so, is very true. So Because the Vikings have, have had uh, two or three games that they've lost where the opponent was a good team but kept them in it. And they and, and this defense has played really well for what since week five basically now. Yeah. So I the Chicago game, I'm not so sure. I think if you I I will go to my grave saying that Flip's biggest problem was he got his hands on cousins and he said, I've got a top QB here. And and nobody went back and studied what you said, which is Kirk Cousins excelled under OCs who gave him an exact plan, but that plan made sense. And if you say you've got these two receivers, Kirk, and it's going to work because it's going to work for a while, and then it's not. And so so the question becomes, as it does in every sport, and especially this sport, what is your adjustment to the adjustment to the adjustment? And the Vikings' adjustment was, well, but this is what we do now. And, and in the past couple games, Stefanski's clearly said, hold on a second here. That makes no sense. I'm going to incorporate the tight end. I'm going to incorporate Cook. I'm going to do things that make sense because Kirk Cousins can be a very nice QB with arm talent. But if you put it all on him, and, and this is why the game next Sunday I'm so curious about, because there's going to be an amount of pressure on Cousins that is going to be undeniable, and nobody can take that off him. And I am really excited to see what he does faced with the pressure of, you're here because we said that you could win games like this, and we'll help you, but you still got to do it. Yeah, and, that, and that's what's interesting about a game like this is, once again, I think we saw a Case Keenum-type game plan where it's a high percentage of completions, you hit on a couple of big plays, and once again, you ran the ball a lot, and you stuck with the run. You didn't get away from it and make Kirk Cousins throw 40 passes or something like that. They stuck with it. They ran some play actions to then help them get runs because it kind of can work both ways, and a much smarter style game plan this week than it would have been you know, under John D. Filippo most of the time. And you're right about that Chicago game. That was one of the major issues is the protection and then not doing a good enough job of protecting Kirk Cousins throughout that game or even giving them a good chance to run. The Delvin Cook fumble happened on a play in which Kyle Rudolph was trying to block Khalil Mack, which is unacceptable. It just cannot happen. It gets people fired. You have to know where that guy is on every single play. And yes, it deservedly got John Filippo fired. Now, to your point, this right here is... Something that I think we foresaw the moment that Kirk Cousins was signed was someday you are going to have a must-win game. How are you going to play? 
and we don't know yet. I guess we'll find out if it gets flexed, and then it becomes even more interesting if it gets flexed to the night game, and then you've got all that pressure that doubles when you've got the national TV audience and everything else like that. How are you going to play against a good team where he usually loses on a big stage in a must-win? That's why he was paid what he was paid. Otherwise, Case Keenum could have gotten you to 8-6-1, and one, right? I, I think if we look at that schedule, yes. find me a game that Case Keenum doesn't win, even if he regresses from last year because of just the weapons around him. But instead, that's why they paid for Kirk Cousins. And so far, the entire narrative of this guy's career is good, not great. Anytime you need him to step up big, he doesn't do it. And I think that normally we look at those types of narratives and say, I don't know. Right, because I remember when Peyton Manning couldn't win the big one. Drew Brees couldn't win the big yeah. one. Like LeBron James for a little while was a choker. And then over the long haul, they end up getting their wins. And even the greatest who get that choke label, they usually over a big sample, they prove that to be wrong. But with Kirk Cousins, that sample is growing every time they have a big primetime game and don't come away with a win against a team that's better than them. And now it is his opportunity to prove Washington wrong, because if they lose to Philly, they're out of the playoff race entirely, and to prove all the people who questioned whether he could step up in a big game wrong, and really to get this fan base to entirely buy into Kirk Cousins as their franchise quarterback. All year, I think there's been a lot of trepidation about that. Maybe early on, the Green Bay game was very good, and some people bought into him, but as we've gone along, it's been a lot of the same complaints that everyone in Washington, D.C. had, and now is his opportunity to say, nope, I can win that big game. Even if the defense wins it more, right. still, he's got to be the one who well, doesn't throw the pick six or make the big mistake. Exactly. To put this all on him is unfair, but whether he likes it or the Vikings like it or not, this is always going to come back to that contract. And you don't pay a guy, especially, and and the thing that sets this up as such an interesting game to me is the fact that Keenum got run out because there was no faith that he could win this exact game. That was the whole thing. I mean, how many times through the course of the 2017 season did we see Zimmer make sideways or backhand comments about my quarterback has a horseshoe or my quarterback's very fortunate or things are going right? And it was obvious that his fear was that Keenum could not win a game like this. And so they signed Cousins, and now now you're right. The defense probably is going to have to if there's going to if the Vikings win and make the playoffs. There's probably going to be the main storyline of the defense played great. There's no question about it. But it does come back to if the quarterback screws up, that's going to be a huge focus of things, and it probably should be. It's probably fair because you brought this guy in with the expectation, well, hell, the expectation was playoffs, Super Bowl. I think now we're we're down to, all right, just make the playoffs. Right. And I would say this, that the confidence level I would have had after the Seattle game with John DeFlippo as the offensive coordinator and Kirk Cousins playing quarterback and them winning this game would be almost zero. And DeFlippo would have won these two games, by the way. He would have beaten Miami. He would have beaten Detroit. Not, I, you know what? I would love to say that I'm sure you're, you're right, and I do believe that he beats the Dolphins. They had no offense, though. Detroit had no offense. They scored nine points. But I, I still don't know. I think it would have been. I think it would have been a pillow fight between two teams that didn't care to a certain degree. And, and by the way... Just to be clear about this, I am shocked by that first half from the Vikings. I'm yeah, absolutely shocked. Was, yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand how you have a game that important against a team that seemingly is totally checked out, uh, and you come out. You don't come out just sort of like it's not going great. You come out and you look incompetent. I don't get that. Yep, it's embarrassing. 
It's embarrassing. And internally, if I'm the Vikings, I'm asking a lot of questions about how we came out in today's game in week 16 with a playoff berth on the line and embarrassed yourself until, what, late second quarter, basically. Yeah, that could have easily been 21 nothing or 24 nothing Lions if they had any offense. In fact, you wonder if even Golden Tate was playing if he would have busted off a big play somewhere, but they have no players left. No, they don't. They're handing off to a guy who's not even faster than you. No. I mean, sorry, I know he's a Minnesotan. No, or, uh, okay, Blount, actually, you LeGarrette and... Blount can't catch the ball. You, I, I could catch the ball better than... You and LeGarrette Blount have the same body shape right now. I could. But even, was Zenner <laughs> yeah, is his name? Weight, I mean, come on. Zach Zenner. Like, he couldn't, but he couldn't hit the edge on, got on that play. Left. I mean, they've, got, they no pl- they've got no players. They don't like their coach. Right. But I don't understand. I don't understand how you come out and play like that. Okay, one series like that? I'm like, okay, that's not good. But you had five yards and four series. But I still think that if Filippo is the offensive coordinator, they win okay. because Detroit is so bad. But I would be going into this game saying, sorry, there's no way. They're just not going to be able to beat the Bears, even though they're at home. If the Bears score at all, then that's all they're going to need is a touchdown or 10 points or something to beat the Vikings because they have gotten to such a low place with Filippo as their coordinator. I think the process that Stefanski has largely used in these two games, sometimes he got away from it. The shotgun in the second quarter, third quarter of the Miami game was pretty confusing. The guy is obviously way better under center. Just stick him there. And the first four drives, I don't know how much was execution, how much was play calling on that, but they got that figured out. Preparation looked terrible. It, it, it just it really did look like they weren't on the same page. They were lethargic to start, but I don't know how much of that is the quarterback either sure. because Cousins routinely has long stretches where he doesn't perform very well. Uh, but now that we're talking about Kevin Stefanski being the offensive coordinator, your confidence level, if you're just picking a like percentage that you think they can win, I, I think if we were talking about Filippo, I'd be like uh, 10% if Trubisky gets strip sacked three times. Now I think we're talking about basically a coin flip because of how big the advantage is to play at U.S. Bank Stadium, how much I do not trust Mitch Trubisky as a quarterback. Yes. Even though the defense is great for Chicago, yes. that home field advantage has been massive for this team since they opened the stadium. I think that Trubisky is going to cost the Bears dearly at some point. I just don't know when. I don't know if it's going to be next Sunday. I don't know if it's going to be in the first round, potentially against the Vikings. I think Mitch Trubisky is going to cost them. I think he's going to throw a stupid pick six. I think he's going to fumble. I think he's going to melt down. I don't know when. I'm with you in, in the sense, though, that this team playing at home and that place can get so loud presents a tremendous advantage. Uh, but here, okay, so here's where I'll flip it to you about next Sunday's game to get your thoughts. But this goes to to the week that's going to lead up to that game. What do you think the tightness factor potentially is with a quarterback who I don't think he handles pressure great, with a coach who I know does not always handle pressure great? So, so just in the preparation for this game, which is now extremely important and with the potential that on the scoreboard at some point in time you look up and see Philadelphia 17 Washington minus six points or something because they don't care what are your thoughts on the um on not just the preparation but the amount of uptightness that might take place at TCL this is something that I've thought about all year with this team that it just hasn't had that same feel of last year where they seem to win every big game until then you know Eagles game at the end. But, but they never seemed uptight, right? But they, no, they didn't. They seemed like a very conducive team where everyone was on the same page all the time. And and this year, it they have clearly felt the pressure throughout this year. And a lot more things have gone wrong as we projected. There's been more injuries on defense and 
and things like that, an offensive coordinator who didn't know what he was doing and, and stuff that they had to overcome. But it still has had that sort of anxiety to even within the locker room, to even how the players react to certain questions. It's had that. And Kirk Cousins has that through the roof when it comes to how he responds to mistakes that he made or even today after the game in some of his responses seemed weirdly defensive at times as he does as he always does and it makes him seem a little bit tight the you know hey was that a big momentum play i don't know about that sort of you know you're like okay man right. i mean like i don't really believe in momentum either but it's just you know i don't i don't know why you're not the just answers are strange at times yeah so right. i agree with that and so you with his personality and his history you're sort of like confirmation bias with that so you see the personality that is unlike most quarterbacks and then you see the record in primetime. You see the record against winning teams. And I think it's very easy to say, and it might be accurate to say, well, that's what you get with that guy. But I don't think it's just been him. I think it's been the whole team, though getting rid of Filippo loosened them up quite a bit. So that might help. I think what, what it really is about for me is Mitch Trubisky and his tightness factor. I think they have the capability, the way this defense is playing, to shut out the Bears. And just win it entirely on the, on their own. Get get a field goal. Six. Get a safety. Field goals don't usually work out. Today, great day from Dan Bailey. Yeah, Dan Bailey. Uh, yeah. But but I mean this this defense has the capability every week of playing at such a high level. It's can Trubisky find a way to score against them? I I think what they're gonna hope for is that Kirk Cousins doesn't have to win this game because if they get down like ten points, Chicago's not giving up a hail mary. They're not giving up Adam Thielen wide open 40 yards down the field. That's hey, not going to happen. The Lions got tea times coming up in Man. Palm Springs, okay? All right. So, well, um, I'll, I'll say this quickly about the Vikings and and the perception of, of if they get tight now compared to last year. I felt that one of the free freeing things about the 2017 Vikings was Zimmer could say what he wanted about Case, and it might have bugged Case, but he never showed it. Yeah. And Case sort of had that surfer dude mentality, right? So you thought to yourself, well, he seems a little bit aloof, but I think that helped because I really think that that there's only so many people that a football team can look at and say, okay, that guy is that guy's demeanor is important. And I think the quarterback is the most important one as far as players go. And the fact that Case was always like, you know, hey, how, how'd you feel about Mike saying that, that you got a horseshoe up your butt, basically? And he'd be like, yeah, okay, that's Mike. Where... I feel like Mike has purposely had to walk on eggshells because of Kirk because he knows that Kirk can't take the criticism. So I do think that there is a definite change in attitude and demeanor when your quarterback, when you know that he can accept your sort of, ah, as a quarterback, he drives me crazy, versus that's how you still think, but you can't say it. Yeah, I agree with that. And I would also say that there's a different feel of having the expectation that you're going to be a Super Bowl team that has been the black cloud over the team the whole time. This whole year has been... Every loss is a bunch of former NFL players on some type of panel going 84 million Super Bowl or bust every single week. And I think that weighs on a team when they are in the national spotlight, which would impress you about some of the teams like, you know, New England doing it year after year or the Dallas Cowboys back in the day or San Francisco when you have so much pressure on you that if you lose two games in a row, it's the sky is falling and the national media is talking about you and slamming you all over the place. And I think that that has gotten to them 
in some instances. And now everyone is going to be talking about how this is all on Kirk Cousins, even though it's not. Uh, to me, it's it's just as much on the defense as it is Cousins. But it's but, a storyline. You're right. But it is a huge storyline, right. and there's a lot of pressure here. I will say the one thing that Mike Zimmer has done really well so far all, all the way through the year is he just hasn't hammered anyone except Filippo. Like, I can't think of another time where he just nailed a player or a unit or the quarterback. And as far as sort of downplaying the pressure, I think you want to do that. But but there's nothing like, in terms of playing loose, the feeling that if you lost to New Orleans, well, you know, it's Drew Brees. Like, we weren't supposed to be here anyway. I think the we weren't supposed to be here anyway is great for the psychology of athletes as opposed to uh, you know, you have to win or this is a bust. Think about like shooting a free throw when you're down 30 points versus shooting a free throw in the final well, moments. I'm bad in both those. So let's not yeah, yeah, you that. are. Okay. But can we just but even like LeBron James does not shoot free throws very well under one minute. Right. Because the the pressure, it doubles and it's going to be double this week. And whether they handle it will ultimately determine how we view this team. I think even if they win against Chicago and lose the next week, we will say, well, they are still on the cusp of being a Super Bowl team, but you need a right guard. You really, desperately, terribly, awfully need a right guard. The left guard, Nick Easton, will probably come back, and then we'll see what happens with that. But the right guard, putting Remmers there, is a criminal move by this team that has hurt them every single week and has been totally unfair, unfair to him. And I look forward to him being someone else's right tackle next year where he's pretty decent for another team Yeah, because he did not deserve this. But... Uh, another another really tough day for the guards. Anyway, that's to the side. The point just being that... How did you get to the guards off of that? Well, I got to the guards by just... That's what we'll let's talk about. Pressure up that's what we'll talk about it if they lose. Uh, let's put the pressure on the quarterback. If, if they lose, what we'll talk about is... They're, or I'm sorry, if they win and then lose in the yeah. playoffs, what we'll talk about <laughs> is they're still close. If they lose... And miss the playoffs? If they miss the playoffs and lose, then it's a huge bust. Then eighty four yeah, million. One of the biggest bu- if they lose and miss the playoffs, then this becomes one of the biggest busts in Vikings history. Absolutely, as a season, way way worse than two thousand sixteen. Even starting five and zero and collapsing, oh, way yeah, worse. Absolutely, than that. because that was still Teddy went down, the line got hurt. This would be one third of Kirk Cousins' eighty four million dollars salary down the toilet. Worse than two thousand ten because two thousand ten you tried to recapture the magic of two thousand nine, but that was trying yep. to bring far back and it fell apart and it fell apart quickly. No, this will be one of the greatest busts in Vikings history if they do not make the playoffs. I agree. Okay, thank you for your time, Judd. Thanks to Courtney Conan who joined us earlier, and we will have all sorts of coverage coming up this week on the Purple Podcast. We'll talk to you all then.